welcome here. Those of you that are physically present, the few of us that are together, and uh, to those of you online, again, I guess I will be uh, preaching into more of a camera again, so uh, apologies to those of us who are here if I'm not looking at you as much. This, this is always the tension of when you know you're um, preaching to more people now through a screen versus in person. Um, I do want to make mention of, I don't maybe some of you already know, but I just found out late last night, um, Chuck and Phyllis had their 60th wedding anniversary, I think it was Thursday or Friday. So uh, Chuck and Phyllis, if you're watching, wow, uh, congratulations, that is a big, big milestone. And I think all of us who are, are married would love to get to that milestone, so... Um, yeah, right. Susie says, it's a, you probably maybe can't hear, but it's a blessing and I agree with you. I don't know why my, man, this feels odd this morning. Whatever, I'm going to have to just, whatever, have to just overlook it. doesn't matter. Um, you know, if you had asked me a few weeks back, uh, I would not have thought that we would be in the place where we're at right now again. Like, like I'm feeling sort of this weird deja vu all over again like like it's like we're we're back to this again um we've got new restrictions that feel like old restrictions and you know i'm just thinking about the difference from two weeks ago when we had like i think over 80 people in here and it was just like it was a wonderful time together um and engaging in it. and it, it it you know it's different now right this is not uh the same and so uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I don't, this whole preaching into a camera thing uh, is not ideal. You know, like I heard, I was actually, I heard a, another uh, preacher say this week, he said, he was talking about a sermon and he said, you know, sermons are not monologues, they're dialogues. And, and that is very, very true. Like, I, I don't know if you think about that, but I, when I'm preaching that, that dialogue, even if it's not like always verbal, but that back and forth dialogue uh, in preaching is such a gift to those of us who speak and so this is different and so I, I'm, I'm actually I'm thankful that there's at least a few of us here to be honest that's a massive blessing to me um, it's not as much a blessing that I now can't see your faces again <laughs> and so oh gee we need the Lord right we need we need Jesus in these days um, Having said all that, I, I feel like there's an aspect of me that the Lord's been preparing me for this time um, in the last number of weeks. I, f- I felt like the Lord has very intentionally been speaking to me and impressing upon me in a many, many ways this need for surrender, this need for submission, this need for humility in this time, uh, inviting the Lord to do his work. And I, and I feel that in just a variety of ways right now in the time that we're in, that there's this thing of just laying oneself before the Lord and going, I don't get it all, I don't understand it all, but Lord, you are over all things and I'm, I'm yielding to you. Um, you know, and I'm encouraged in that by remembering it both in my life and in, in many people, uh, testimonies that I've read, talking to some of you, that it is in tough, difficult seasons that the Lord does significant work and brings about significant spiritual growth in us. That that is, it's always a hallmark of how the Holy Spirit works. And so I'm encouraged that 
You know what? In the midst of difficult seasons, actually, we can go, God is working. And probably working far more than you realize than in the easy seasons of life where it just feels easier. And so I, I would say in that, take heart. Take heart that the Lord is at work. Um, and, and, and in saying all that, it's good to be honest, right? It's good to be honest saying, hey, I'm not doing all that great. Like there's difficult things in the season. It's good and it's okay to process lament in these days. We've talked a little bit about that, but again, just saying, you know, lament is a biblical um, principle. It's, it's, you, we see it throughout scripture. I've also been thinking about the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in Revelation. That's something that's been impressed upon me lately. The seven letters that Jesus wrote. And I've been thinking, you know, Jesus, what would you say to us today? What, it, what are you saying to your churches today? Because Jesus is speaking. And I, I, I have always I've been so amazed by what he said to the churches in Revelation. And, and this is what he said to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You know, I read that and I went, that's a pretty good commendation. Like, you kind of, I get the, the feeling from that of the people that he's writing to in Ephesus there of like, they're steadfast, good religious people who don't compromise truth. But, but Jesus continues, and he says this thing. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken or abandoned the love you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Ephesus was one of those churches. They, they were a ha- one of the handful of churches that received the letter that we know as the letter to the Ephesians. So it wasn't just to them, it was to a network of churches. And in that letter, if you remember, there's, there's various things in there about love. It speaks right at the beginning of Ephesians about God's love in making us alive in Christ. It talks about uh, Paul prays in there for the church that he desires that they would know the unknowable depths, if you will, of God's love, like, like just the, the rich depths of the love of God. And then it goes on and it talks about building one another up in love. And so experiencing the love of God and responding with love for God is right at the heart of relationship with Jesus and following his way. It's right at the very very heart. Paul speaks in Romans 5 of how God, he demonstrated his love for us in Jesus's death, even when we had rejected him, even when we were far from him, didn't know him. God, he died for us. And then it says that, he goes on and it says in Romans that God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given us. And our our love for God in return is the natural response to this incredible gift. So relationship with God begins with passionate love for God. Are you guys trying to, you're trying to figure out this, yeah, okay, I'll just try it out. I don't know if you guys are hearing it online. There's a bit of a, a feedback thing that we've got going on here. I'll just try to 
push past it. Um, but relationship with God, at the very core of it, is passionate love for God. It's how relationships are designed to flourish. We, we know, you think about this, we know that cultivating love for a spouse in a marriage is so, so crucial, right? Do you, guys, do you want me to just use the handheld? Would that just be easier? I'm, I, you know, maybe I'll just use the handheld. And I think that'll be easier for all of us. Oh, it's still there. Huh. Okay, well, whatever. We'll, we'll try just, it's okay. So, cultivating love for a, for a spouse in marriage, right? It's something that you have to do. I, I can still remember when, you know, vivid memories of when I began to fall hard, if you will, for Jess in my life. Where... Um, you, and, and think back about that early time in your life when you, with your spouse, you began to realize that you were falling in passionate love for that person. That, that there was a change going on in the way that you felt about that person, right? And you, and you begin, you can, those are very vivid feelings. And, and most people, I think, can, can very uh, easily even recall those memories, because they're so they're tied to how we feel emotionally, we can and we can think back about those memories. This is God's design for relationships. That is the way that God meant for us to be in relationship with our spouse. It is the joining of hearts. It's not simply biological attraction. It's something that's far far deeper than that. And so this is meant to characterize our relationship with God. Passionate love for Him. And so I want to I spend our time this morning looking at the greatest commandment in Scripture. This is, this is the greatest commandment that we have in all of Scripture. A commandment that Jesus also affirmed was the most important when He was asked. He said, this is it. Right here, this is the most important commandment. So, any of you kids at home, when you're at home and you're listening, do any of you want to guess what the greatest commandment is? And if you know, if you think you know what the greatest commandment is, then just say it to your mom or your dad if you're here listening. What do you think is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Any of you kids here want to take a shot? Nora, do you want to take a shot at all? No? Cassette, do you want to take a shot? Anyone? Anyone? No? No one wants to take a shot? Thomas, do you want to take a shot? What, what do you think the greatest commandment is? Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. We're, so we're going we're gonna to get to that commandment yet. But I want to, before we do that, I want to read a few verses here in Deuteronomy 6 to kind of set the stage for us. Because this is, this is, we are talking about the greatest commandment. Like nothing besides this commandment in all of Scripture. Which is pretty incredible when you consider it. Verse 
1, Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Okay, so Moses is, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites. In fact, you're wondering who, who this guy is speaking here. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So God's people here, they're about to enter the promised land. Land with a lot of resources, a lot of goodness, lots of unknown for them too, right? Like they've been, they've been wandering, they've been nomads, if you will, in the desert for 40 years. They've been doing, they've, they've just been waiting and now they're about to enter this land, like full of just so much more goodness than what they've been living in. And these commands that come, they're, they're meant to prepare God's people amidst the comforts of the land and strengthened against the potential snares of what they're entering into so that they may, they may set out well, if you will, as they enter this land. And so here it speaks of the fear of the Lord, which means honor and reverence and awe for the Lord. That, that there's, there would be obedience to his ways. And, it, and Moses says, for us, for our children, and for our children, the generations that will come after, so that they will all follow and fear the Lord. This is why, he says, this is why the Lord is speaking this to us. This is about generations, if you will, passionately sold out for God. And he says, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear and obey, he says, so that it might go well with you. That the people of God would increase. That there'd be an increase in you. So, we see here, God's desire for his people is fullness of life. The, the, he desires for them the good life, actually. Now, it's defined a little bit differently than we might define the good life in this culture. The, the good life that God is describing is life surrendered to God, life that revolves around God, and obedience, life that is obedient to God's ways. So, as we enter these next four weeks, we've got these four weeks that have been put upon us now, again, a bunch of changes, a bunch of shifts, a time we don't want, maybe didn't even expect, once again, it contains a lot of uncertainty. Not, we're not even sure what lays beyond these four weeks. Like, where, do, where are we going from here? Remember, remember, remember. God is over all things. He's over this all. He is working in all things. In all things, He is working to bring about good in your life. In all things. And God is inviting us, he's inviting you to partner with him as he works. He's inviting you to partner in his ways. 
He's inviting you to partner in his work. He said, come on. Partner with me. And so I, I want to humbly put forth what I believe is the best plan for the next four weeks for us and for the rest of our lives. Okay? So I'm covering it all. But I'm, I'm talking about these next four weeks, what I think is the best plan. How can we approach these next four weeks as an opportunity to encounter God and to grow in our reverence and awe of Him? Like, like how can we actually, like these four weeks can be actually something that we look back upon and go, I met God there. I encountered God. To, to sow seeds in our lives that will bear lasting fruit for us. So, I was thinking about this because I saw a picture of someone who was about to get into planting. The tractor was on the field and I'm like, yeah, like we're right on the cusp of planting season right now, right? Fields are being prepared They're for seeding. Gardens are being tilled. I, I tilled part of my garden yesterday. I tilled other parts of my yard already yesterday. Compost and other nutrients are going to be added here in these, in these next few weeks. Flower beds are being cleaned out. I've done that again as well. We're, we're, we're preparing things to allow for new growth. Like I got into our own flower bed last night and I was like getting rid of all the old stuff, all the leaves, all the dead stuff. Why? Because we want new growth to come and we want to allow for new growth. And there's this process of cultivating which is preparing the land for growth. And I believe that there is a specific metaphor in that for us right now in these next four weeks. Where Jesus is saying to us, he's saying, I want you to prepare the soil of your lives for growth. How do we cultivate in our lives to receive what Jesus desires to plant in us? That in these next four weeks, he actually wants the soil of your heart prepared so that you are ready to receive what he wants to plant in you. I think that's really cool. And I think there's something there for us. So the question is, how are you viewing this time? What if we ask the Lord specifically to work in us during this time? What if we specifically approach this time as an opportunity to cultivate a deeper relationship with God? Personally, for our families, for our kids, that there's something that we're going to intentionally do. And having said all that, the opportunities for distraction right now to be pulled in all sorts of different directions, they continue to be everywhere. Everywhere. So many opportunities to be distracted. And I believe that the following verses that we're going to read here, I believe that they reveal the best plan. They offer the best plan for this time and for the rest of our lives. And I, I say this with confidence because these verses were at the very center of Jewish life. They were at the very heart of what it meant for the Jewish people to have relationship with Yahweh. These verses, they would be repeated every morning. They'd be repeated every night at the minimum. And probably by many of God's people even more than that. They would repeat these words day and night and in between. 
They, these words that we're going to read, they were meant to define God's people. This is what defined them. This is what defines us. Verse 4, going on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The best plan for the next four weeks begins with cultivating love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, every last bit of it. The Lord is above all things. This, this, is, this is sort of along the lines of Psalm 73. There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Nothing. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what these verses are. Love for God arms us against idolatry, making all manner of things more important than God. Love for God guards us against gospel amnesia. It's just a cute little term for forgetting God. Love for God guards us against that. Which is interesting because both of those dangers, forgetting God, making other things more important than God, are specifically mentioned by the Lord in the, in the next verses after this. Those are the two things he says to them. When you enter the land, these are the two temptations, these are the two inclinations that you're going to have. Life's going to be good, you're going to get sidetracked, distracted, and you're going to go after other things, and you're going to forget about me. And he says, don't. The greater our love for God, the greater our reverence for him will be. The greater our love for God, the greater your reverence and your awe of him will be. It involves every part of us, internally, externally. This is why, you know, as an example, singing praise to God is a biblical command. Right? Like, like coming here, entering in, engaging in worship, or if you're at home now, engaging in worship, singing, involving your physical body, it's a biblical command. Why? Well, it's one of the ways in which I, we, worship actually changes our hearts. When we engage in worship and we choose to worship, we are engaging our hearts with God, and it draws our affections to the greatness of God. You know, I was, I was reading about this. Um, I can't remember exactly. It was one of the Psalms, but Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book on the Psalms, and he called the book um, a, long a Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he talks about worship, and then one of the things he says is, in, in one of the, it's kind of like a devotional format. He says, look, worship for God is not about your feelings. Like, it's not about, I don't come, there's, there's times where I'll come into the presence of God, and I don't feel like worshiping. 
And I remind myself, it's like, Paul, it's not actually about your feelings. It's actually about the fact that God is great and I'm going to worship him. Why? Because he's worthy of my praise. He's worthy. He's worthy of everything. And that increases in me. When I, even, when I don't feel like it, that increases my love for God. It's amazing how it does that. This is the basis and the foundation of our relationship with God. Love for Him. Everything, everything, everything flows from this. Obedience, passion, hunger, desire, surrender, sacrifice, all of it flows from your love for God. You love Jesus, you're going deeper in your love for Jesus, you will go deeper and, and have more desire for obedience, hunger, passion, surrender, sacrifice, all of it. And love for God begins with the heart, with our hearts. James K. Smith, he wrote a, a little book, incredible book, called You Are What You Love. You might have heard of this book, but he, he talks in there about how in our culture, we are led to think, uh, sorry, we're led to believe that we are what we think. Like the whole sort of brains on a stick sort of picture, like we're big brains on a stick and our brains direct everything. And he says, no, no, like we're, we're led to think discipleship is a matter of learning, right? The, the discipleship, discipleship is a matter of believing and thinking the right things. If you think the right things, then you've got it. And he's like, yeah, but do you ever experience a gap between what you know and what you do. Anyone? Anyone ever experience a gap between, I know this, but this is what I do? Yeah, right? Like, probably all of us are like, yeah, that's me. He's like, that's what we find ourselves, where we find ourselves habitually doing and engaging with in our lives. And he calls that, it's related to the power of habit. We all do things habitually. Philippians 1 verse 9, it says, Paul prays there that the churches would love, their love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And Smith in his book, he makes the point, he says, love is the condition for knowledge. It's not that I know in order to love, but rather I love in order to know. It starts with love. And he goes, on, he goes on to talk in his book there about how our heart is the very existential chamber of our love, meaning like our heart is where our love originates. Our, our loves set the direction toward the ultimate end of our lives. It's not just about what I believe that is going to take me to some end. It's not. More, it's about our longings and our ultimate wantings. It's my desires. It's actually my desires. It's your desires that define you. We are what we love. So if you want to know what you love, then you have to look at what you do. As well, what passionately engages you in your life? What, what do you get excited about? What are you quickly willing to talk about? How, you can be, now, you can be passionate about things. Absolutely, we can all be. We will all be passionate about things. But 
do they pale in comparison for your passion for Jesus and what he's doing in your life? Do you assess, do, you, do we actually assess what holds our hearts? Like, do, you ever, do you ever wonder sometimes why we don't talk about the Lord more with one another just naturally? Did you ever get that where it's like, why does it need to be in some formal setting? Like we come together in a home group and it's like, okay, okay now we're going to have this study. Okay, now we're going to engage. Now we're going to talk about what the Lord's doing. What, why, why is it like that sometimes? Why, why are we not more inclined to quickly engage with one another about what the Lord is doing in our lives? Like I'm, I'm all good to talk about the Jets, or I'm all good to talk about the weather, I'm all good to talk about, like, I'll talk about sports, I, I like talking about that, but if that's always our go-to and we're not talking about the Lord and what he's doing in us, why is that? Why, why would this be awkward? And, and I guess the question I'm asking is, does it have something to do with our hearts? This love for God involves our whole being. When Jesus affirms this is the greatest commandment in the gospel, he adds our minds, actually. He adds our minds in addition to our heart, soul, and strength. It's about every part of us. Our love for God directs our deepest affections, what we think about, how we act, what we do and don't do. So it says here that the commandments are to be upon our hearts directing our affections and actions. We're also told that we are to impress these commandments on our children, providing an example and speaking of God often and consistently in our homes, in all manners of activities in life, at home, keeping our love for God and affections for God at the center of who we are. So this is not about compartmentalized religious practices, right? We go here and we do this. We go to church and this is, this is where we engage with God. No, 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 no. Like that's, that's not what it means to love God with everything that we are. This is about love for God that touches every single part of our lives. It touches every single part of our homes because it's who we are. As followers of Jesus, the goal of our homes above everything else, everything else, is to encourage our children and model for them discipleship to the way of Jesus. Full stop. That's nothing above that. Nothing. We can have other interests. We can have other activities. But everything is serving. Everything is serving discipleship to the way of Jesus. It's interesting because the Jewish people, they took this very literally right they would tie these little things called phylacteries on their foreheads we have a, actually i've got a picture here uh yeah so this is this is a, a actually an israeli soldier and you see at the top there um online you'll be able to see it better but uh, you can see he's got that little box on the top of his head and he's actually got one tied there around uh, by his bicep he's got it tied on his arm and in there are little pieces of scripture that remind them love the lord your god with everything that you are. Everything. They are meant, what, what, the reason they're doing this, this is meant uh, as a physical representation of keeping God's word close to them. 
which is really interesting, right? It's fascinating. Jesus, though, it's interesting because he rebuked the Pharisees um, in the Gospels because they, they would put bigger boxes on themselves. I, I wonder how big they were. Like he, he rebukes, he says, you're, you're putting these bigger boxes on your heads because you're wanting to draw attention to yourselves. Like, look at me. Look at my big phylactery on my head. Like, was it like just ginormous? I, we don't know. <laughs> but the point was Jesus was rebuking them because he's like, look, this is becoming about an image to you. This is about you're trying to present an image of presentation to others that is not about the heart. This, so this is, you know, this is not about stuff that we put on ourselves, ultimately. It's not about, you know, the stuff we hang on our doorposts at home. I mean, we have scripture up in various parts of our homes, in, of our home. But that doesn't mean that, like, having that scripture up in our kitchen, in our living room, it doesn't say, this guarantees that the Martins family loves Jesus with everything that they are. No, it doesn't. It, it reminds us of our values. It points to what we want to be the values. But it doesn't guarantee anything, right? It's about the heart. Ultimately, it's about what is to define every part of our lives. I was, I was recently listening to a podcast with just a brilliant psychologist. His name is Adam Grant. I just really appreciate, appreciate the work that he does. And he was talking... Uh, with another guy, Kerry Newhoff, who's a, a former pastor and does a leadership podcast about why people get caught up in conspiracy theories. Pretty prevalent right now, right? They're like all manner of things. He's, and he talked about one reason that we can be inclined to this way is that we need to believe a chaotic world is in control. Like we, we want predictability actually in our lives. We like... A virus like this, a pandemic like this can't just happen. Like, what do you mean a virus like this just kind of came out of nowhere? That, that, that can't be. There must be someone or something behind the scenes controlling all of it. Because that would make, you know, this world has to be in control. Now think about this. When you start to combine that with scripture, it becomes opportunity for very misguided interpretations of scripture. Actually, it can actually become a vehicle for fear and anxiety in our lives. We go, we don't know what's going on. So take the mark of the beast for the example. Like this, this is one of those things floating around on there. What, what if I unknowingly take the mark of the beast? Oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. Right? What, what if these vaccines are the mark of the beast? That's not what it's speaking about in Revelation. What Revelation is talking about is allegiance to Christ. It's allegiance against Christ and allegiance to Christ. So it's not about some chip in your forehead. It's not about some vaccine that's going to track you that's in your body now. This is about who we follow. This is about who we are. It's about who we've internalized. It's who we worship. It's, it's about who we have surrendered our lives to. What we worship, whom we worship. That's not something you have to be fearful of. It's not something you have to wonder, oh, I don't know if I'm going to, if I'm, like, what if I unknowingly took it? No, 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 no. You'll know. Your heart 
is aligned with Christ, you're good. So I, I want to be very weary of becoming focused on fringe issues and missing the core calling that we have as followers of Jesus, which begins with a passionate love for God. And this is not about having to follow, you know, some set of rules like, like we've added in a bunch of subsections that we've, we've internalized this inside of ourselves. Like, well, this and this and this and this is what it means internally for me to love God. And, oh, what, 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 what if I'm not doing it right? I will guarantee you, you will fail. You will fail. We will all fail. <laughs> you, it's okay. You will, you will fail at trying because it's impossible. You're right to think it's impossible. But it's, it's really simple, actually. But it's a costly call. It's surrender to Jesus and to his way. And it's full reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's admitting that you have and that you will screw up. But it is surrendering our hearts. It is a surrendering of our hearts and making choices in our lives to increase our love for God. So in Mark 12, Jesus, he's debating some of the religious leaders. One of them asks Jesus, he's like, well, what's the, what's the most important commandment? And, you know, it, it seems like they're probably trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to trip him up again. And Jesus, he quotes Deuteronomy 6 right here. He says, it all begins with love for God. But then he willingly, without them asking, he's, he states what the second greatest commandment is. And he says, the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, he says, greater than these. And the teacher of the law that had asked him this, he agrees with him. And he says, you know, Jesus, like, you're right. Like, love for God and then love for other people, loving them as ourselves, that, that's greater than all the sacrifices. That, that's more important than the whole sacrificial system that we have. And Jesus responds to him by saying this. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's amazing. What Jesus, how he responds. Because what Jesus is saying, if you want to experience God's kingdom in your life over the next four weeks, it begins with cultivating love for God and cultivating love for others. It involves cultivating love for other people. Focusing on the needs of others, looking for opportunities to bless and care for people. Do you think right now people need to be blessed and cared for? I think they do. And I think it's about right now, it's about looking for those opportunities. Praying that God would lead us into opportunities. And, and love for God naturally, naturally will just flow into love for other people. Regarding others is more significant than ourselves. Philippians 2. This is sacrificial love. But we also need to touch on the source of our love. Because without it, we have no ability to love God and we have no ability to love others without the source of our love. And so I want to just conclude and wrap up by saying that the third, the best plan for the next four weeks also includes receiving God's love. 
1 John 4.19. We love because why? He first loved us. That's why we love. It originates with God. Ephesians 1. In love, it says God called us to be his own. God did it. John 17, 26, when Jesus is praying in the garden with, the, with his father, and he prays that the love that his father has for him, just think about that for a second. The love that the father has for Jesus, that's pretty incredible love. He prays that that love would be in us, that we would experience that love. That was Jesus' heart. That's Jesus' desire for those who follow him. And then 1 John 3, 1. I want to just ask a question on that word. It talks about the, the love of the Father that has been lavished or poured out on us. Do you know how great the love of the Father is that has been poured out on you? Do you know? In, in his book, Confessions, Augustine, um, in the opening paragraph, he says this, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are made to love the one who made and loves us. We find rest when our lives and our loves are rightly ordered to this end. When our loves are ordered correctly, we find rest in God. And since our hearts were made to find rest in God, the alternative is that we experience all sorts of anxiety and restlessness in our lives when we are trying to love substitutes. It's, it's, it's just, that's, naturally that should be the expectation if we are not ordering our loves with the Lord, around the Lord. Because to, to be human is to have a heart. You, you, can't, you can't not love. So it's not whether you will love something as ultimate. That's not the question. The question is, what will you love as ultimate? We are what we love. Now having said that, some of you need to receive God's love afresh for you. You actually really need to receive God's love for you. You desperately need a revelation and an experience of God's love for you. You need the love of the Father poured out on you. You need it to, to be drenched in the love of the Father. And I believe that these four weeks can serve as an opportunity to seek the Lord and to pursue him for this. God, would you pour your love out on me to receive the love of the Father, to hear him say, you are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. So, how can you practically walk this out over the next four weeks? What, what, what can we do? Some of us like this. Maybe some of you are like, I don't, want, I don't like this. So for those of you that like this, where you like practical things that you can do, I want to, and some of this, th this isn't new, like, 
extraordinary, groundbreaking information. This is, this is spiritual disciplines, habits sort of stuff. But it first begins by just creating time and space for God. Look, look at this time and say, I am going to create and carve out space for time with God. Two, read your Bible more than you have been. Like, if you've been reading your Bible every day, great. Read more. Go deeper. Read more scripture. Spend time memorizing scripture. Pam had a great word about that last Sunday that I was really blessed with, that just internalizing the word of God, putting it in your heart, encouraging your kids to do that, memorizing scripture. Time is never, ever wasted by memorizing scripture. And I know I've mentioned this before. There's a great app that I love to talk about, Scripture Typer. Uh, you can look it up, Scripture Typer, on the App Store. It is an amazing, amazing tool to help you memorize Scripture. Um, I love it. Spend time in the secret place with God. It's another thing. Just getting alone with the Lord, right? Creating that space for Him. Quiet, in the quiet, silence, solitude, prayer. Spend time pursuing relationship. And, and, and that, that time with the Lord in the quiet place is receiving from Him and it's giving. Right? It's a, I'm going to receive God's love and I am going to in turn, I'm going to give back to God. I'm going to declare my praise. I'm going to declare my thankfulness to God. I'm going to declare my gratitude. I'm going to worship God. It's receiving and giving. Spend time in worship. That's another way. Just carve out time with your family as well, singing and praising God together. However you might do that. Some of you might have the musical ability to do that. Some of you might say, we need to put on a video. Great. Do it. Spend time in this time cultivating worship with the Lord. Not just waiting for Sundays. Sundays are great, but don't wait for Sundays. Do it all the time. Cultivate worship in your life. And talk about God and what He's doing in our lives. That's another way we can do this. How can you orbit your lives around a focus on the Lord? How can you make the Lord and what God is doing in us a focus around your family in this time? To talk about it. To draw out that conversation with your kids. And lastly, let's look to be a conduit for God's love to others. Let's be prayerful. Let's be watchful. And let's be bold. There's opportunities all around us right now where we can be a conduit for the love that we're receiving. We can be a conduit of that love to others over these weeks and be a blessing. And that, that we glorify Jesus as we do that. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. We thank you that you, your love does not change. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, you're the same today, and you're the same tomorrow and forevermore. You never change. You are faithful. And you love us. We thank you for the love that you have given us. We pray, Lord, I pray right now that where we need a manifestation where we need a revelation of your love for us. Lord, I pray that you would do that. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to people right now, Father, the love that you have for them. I pray that they would receive 
the love of the Father. Father, would you pour out your love on us. And Lord, would you increase our hunger, our desire, our passion for your ways. Would you increase our passion for you? Would you increase our affections? Would you draw us and our affections to you that we would love you, God, with everything that we have? We would just be in awe of what you've done for us, Jesus, how you've set us free from the power of sin and death. And you've, you've invited us into new life, to resurrected life. We are new creations. We receive that. God, thank you for what you're doing. God, would you be with us in these next number of weeks as, Lord, there's so many things that we don't know. There's so many uncertainties. But God, you're the one certainty. And we look to you. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.